This is On Location. I'm Joe Mamlin. Today's episode comes to you on location in Michigan, Minnesota, California, and Alaska. But first, On Location is produced by the Instia Communications Committee with special production assistance from Tim Leitner and me. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker, and Radio Public, among others. So subscribe today on your favorite podcast service and tell all your friends. On today's episode, Tim Leitner and Greg Wilson have a conversation with our NCIA Policy Forum co-chairs, Aaron Frisch and Shani Moore. They talk about the upcoming policy forum, what's going to be different for this year, and how they planned for an amazing virtual event. You won't want to miss this one. It's going to be a great episode. So stick around, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to NC on Location. Today we're coming to you live from multiple locations across the U.S., Michigan, Minnesota, California, and all the way up in Alaska. My name's Tim Leitner, and I work for the Alaska Child Support Services Division up here in Anchorage, Alaska. And we're also joined today by Greg Wilson. And Greg, do you want to introduce yourself? Thank you, Tim. Greg Wilson. I am the Executive Director of the Child Support Directors Association in sunny California. I've been a member of NCIA for about two years now, joined just after I took my day job. Awesome. And today we actually have this year's NCIA Policy Forum co-chairs, Aaron Frisch, who's all the way over in Michigan. And we also have Shanine Moore, who's over in Minnesota. And I'll let them introduce themselves. Hi, everyone. I'm Erin Frisch. I am the Child Support Director for the state of Michigan. I've been in this job since 2012 and really have been a part of NCIA since even before then. Uh, I've served on the board a couple of times, lots of community chairs. Uh, This is my second stint planning policy forum, uh, and I currently serve as the secretary on the executive committee for NCIA. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm Shanine Moore. I'm the state director for the state of Minnesota. I've been involved with INSEA. Well, first of all, I've been state director for three years. I was deputy director previous uh, in that role, almost four years. I've been involved with INSEA since my coming into my position. And so um, I started out on a lot of the planning committees and then when the Leadership Symposium came to Minneapolis that year. I got really involved in the planning and then have been involved ever since. 
you know, before we get started with some of our discussion here, maybe we remind folks when this year's policy forum is. Sure. Policy forum this year is actually spread out across two different weeks, the last week of February and the first week of March. So the 23rd, 24th, and 25th of February and March 2nd and 3rd. Thank you, Erin. I hope that's on everybody's calendar. It certainly is for me. The policy forum has traditionally been held in our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. With all that's going on in the world, obviously we're not there this year, so what, what is the plan? Is it going to be held virtually this year? Yes, absolutely. So we, we decided early in our planning that we were going to move to a virtual option because we weren't sure about the certainties around the inauguration uh, because we were originally planned for January. And so with that uncertainty and with being able to get the location for the conference, there was just too many uncertains around um, the pandemic, and so we made the decision early to plan for a virtual conference this year. And I'll bet that was a lot of work. How, how did that shift to the virtual event go this year? You know, it wasn't too bad because we had already kind of practiced ran uh, in the fall. And, you know, we had the platform and all of the things pretty much lined up and worked out. And so it was a pretty easy transfer to be able to do it virtually. Yeah, I was, I was thinking here that, you know, usually the policy forum is, is known to be the conference not to miss. And I was just wondering, you know, we're, we're really talking about cutting edge discussions, engagements, policies that affect the child support community. Can you tell us what this year's theme is for the policy forum? Sure. The policy forum theme this year is moving towards equity through policy. A little bit about like how we came up with that, I think is important here. NCA president Lisa Stenador made a couple phone calls over the summer to Shanine and I, and she really had the vision uh, for this conference from the beginning and uh, wanted wanted the program to be able to tackle some of these issues, especially in light of uh, the murder of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, some of the other events that had happened in the last year, and was, was looking for folks, I think, who were game to really uh, dive into these topics. And Janine and I, I think, have a reputation of, one, being willing to take some risks, and two, um, having spent some time with our programs, trying to uh, better our own engagement around these topics. And so when Lisa called, at least for me, you know, I, I had no intention of chairing policy forum this year, I'll be honest. Uh, but when she said that this is what she wanted to do, I said, darn it, Lisa, you picked the one topic that I can't say no to. So here I am. What about you, Shanine? Yeah, for me, it was um, early summer, and, you know, I remember it pretty distinctly. Um, at, living here in the city of Minneapolis during that time, it was a difficult time. A lot was happening. And so when Lisa called, we talked about my personal experience, about what, you know, what was happening in the city and all of those things. And she said, so what do you think about us bringing this topic? to NCA policy forum and would you be interested in chairing, helping chair? And I was like, absolutely. I think that 
because we're here in Minneapolis, because of heart, the heart of a lot of the things that have happened over the last year around these topics were key to, you know, our experiences here in the city. There was no way that I couldn't. I definitely um, was interested and said, sign me up. Absolutely. And with, with all the planning that's going on, all the, the energy and, and effort that's put into this conference, let me just ask each of you, are there a favorite couple of plenaries that are kind of your favorites at this point or, or that are your, your main interest ones? Well, I can start. I'm going to be a little biased. <laughs> I have two that I helped plan for um, and one that I'm actually uh, presenting, and that's the one around um, using, you know, equity analysis in policy development. And so we're working with Michael from Aaron's team on a fabulous presentation around using tools to better understand equity and to help organizations plan for, you know, those things that come up uh, in your policy and procedural development within your organization. And then the final, uh, kind of the finale of the uh, forum is, uh, you know, I was able to recruit, um, I was able to get a heavy hitter kind of here in Minnesota, Dr. Tromolo. He is um, our Medicaid director, and um, he's doing the session on racial trauma and the impact um, on public health. So he is leading that along with Commissioner Marion Brown, who is from Franklin County, Ohio. And so she's going to talk about it from uh, the, that, that uh, county commissioner perspective and the fact that they have declared racism as a public health concern. And so I'm really looking forward to that, and it's going to be awesome. And I think for me, I of course, also I'm looking forward to the one uh, that we're doing together. Uh, because I just feel like that's going to give folks some really concrete tools for how to think about incorporating equity into our processes. And and to me, one of the best things about Policy Forum is being able to walk away with some stuff you can take home and, and start to implement. Uh, the other one that I'm super excited about is actually our opening plenary. We have Dr. Nita Mosby-Tyler uh, coming to speak to us, and she's just going to help us set up this topic help us understand, you know, what does diversity, equity, inclusion really mean? Uh, why is it important? How do, we, how do we talk about this in a way that is, um, create space for those hard conversations uh, and also make sure that we're bringing everybody along with us? Yeah, absolutely. You know, listening to the two of you talk about some of the plenaries that are, are standing out or, or I'll say outstanding, it really is going to stretch our thinking, I think, and, and really come across as some really heavy, thought-provoking topics. So I am looking forward to this. Before we take and kind of focus a little bit, maybe ask some hard-hitting questions, let me just ask, because you, you started to use words like equity, inclusion, diversity. Can you give us a little idea about what those terms mean in terms of how they'll be used in the policy forum? So I'll talk about how I think about those terms. I will say I think that they mean, you know, um, variations of things to different people. Uh, for me, diversity is about the representation of all of our varied identities and differences. Uh, it's really about how we are seeking to proactively engage and understand 
and draw on a variety of perspectives. And it doesn't have to just be race or ethnicity. It can be socioeconomic status. It can be the way you think. Uh, it can be gender, disability, right? All of those things are included when we talk about diversity. Equity for me is really about seeking to ensure fair treatment and um, fairness of access to information and to resources. And inclusion is really building a culture of belonging. One of the things that I have in my home office here that you can't see uh, is a poster that says, be you, be seen, belong. And it really is about making sure that we are inviting actively the participation of everyone and that we really do believe that everybody's voice has value uh, and creating a balance to be able to make sure all those voices get heard. So for me, um, diversity is definitely about identity. And oftentimes, you know, we are multidimensional. And so, you know, we have to think of ourselves as having multiple identities. And so for me, that's, that's what the diversity piece of our um, forum will bring. Inclusion is the fact, like Aaron said, we want to make sure everyone feels a part of, of this process. And so being able to um, have these tough and difficult conversations, but at the same time, making sure that everyone understands their role in making this program better and, and bringing folks in and meeting people where they are is very important. So we wanted to make sure we covered that. And then the equity piece, as Aaron mentioned, is about fairness. But the one piece too is that it doesn't mean what's fair for you is same for what should be fair for someone else. And so we have to be able to have that tough conversation saying that if one community needs something else, it's not taking away from another community. And so creating, you know, fairness for one doesn't look the same for someone else. And so just being able to recognize that. So I'm wondering what the expected or desired outcomes, uh, what are the takeaways? What are the lessons of the attendees? You know, what, what do we hope that the individuals who are coming together uh, will then carry forward and carry away from this plenary? So I would say to start, Aaron and I, when we were planning for this forum, we were very intentional about how we structured it. So, you know, we wanted to open up the forum with some dialogue and education and some grounding for people, you know, in, in terminology and all of those things, because we recognize everyone's not at the same place in their journey. And so then, you know, we followed the path of, okay, we're going to do some learning you know, on day one, and then we're going to continue to build upon that structure. And then by the time we get to the end, when we have that very tough conversation around racial trauma, everyone will be at least familiar with terminology, language, and understanding um, before we get into that really tough, can be tough conversation. Um, and so we are very intentional um, with that. But my hope is that Coming away from this, it will um, energize folks that, you know, have passion around this topic 
that they can bring back ideas to their staff and be able to really implement things. And um, instead of just having conversations, that they can move to action and that this becomes a regular part of the work that we do in child support that, you know, it's just not a one-off. We're not planning this huge conference, uh, you know, for this purpose. We want it to really be ingrained in our work and that it will continue. And I would just add to that by saying, not something I'm hoping people leave with, but something I hope people come with is an openness and a curiosity and a willingness to learn and to question and to, um, you know, resist that temptation to react if they hear something that doesn't fit with what they um what their lived experience has been, right? That they can they can remain active listeners is really something I'm hoping people will bring with them when they attend. So it sounds like we are taking our our individual lived experiences, coming together as a group to recenter and to you know reform a shared experience and a shared understanding, and then to move forward with change. So I'm, I'm wondering what that bigger goal might be. Is there something that the NCA organization itself or the child support program as a global uh, program is working towards? What's, what's the larger goal where this plenary and this work fits in? So I would say for me, we, we as a child support program, as a community, need to um, acknowledge that sometimes we do harm and that marginalized communities in particular might experience that harm more so than others. And we need to reckon with that and wrestle with it and confront it. And, and I expect that as we do that, we will decide some things about this program need to change. So one of the ways we thought about putting sessions together was really about a balance between like how you think about this stuff, but then also specific policies uh, that we need to examine and think about, whether it is same-sex couples and uh, how we talk about parents and parentage, whether it's cost recovery and how that is disproportionately affecting communities of color. So for me, the, the, the vision I have for us as a program is really around giving folks enough that they go back and they really do start to wrestle with and question and think about how we do this program differently in the context of, in a framework that really values marginalized communities. I definitely would agree with Erin. And I think that uh, selfishly, I know, you know, Minnesota has some work to do. What happened last summer didn't happen by coincidence. And so my hope is that from uh, the shared learning that, you know, we as a community of child support professionals really take the time to understand, as Erin said, that, you know, there are these barriers that everyone's experience around our program is not the same um, and that we need to acknowledge that and collectively come up with ways to make change, uh, identify, you know, examine barriers that we are creating for people and acknowledge that and say, hey, you know, it's time that we start thinking of different ways um, to do that. Well, Shanine, just to kind of follow up with that, and I think you've kind of answered this, both you and Aaron, 
But let me dig just a little bit deeper if I can. You know, imagine we could really assert that organizations also have a duty to work toward equity and inclusion. How do organizations that work when there are collections of individuals, hopefully working together, but sometimes not, how can they engage to kind of make this happen when they're not always on the same page or the gears aren't quite um, matching up? Yes, I think it starts with some common understanding and empathy, right? I think that oftentimes organizations have to have those really tough conversations. Like, you know, we know these things are happening and you have to say what is happening and acknowledge it is the first step. But I think that if you have um, staff within your, in your organizations that are willing to do this work because we can't do these things alone um, and they support these efforts, if you have leadership above you that wholeheartedly supports this work and is willing to give you resources and opportunity to do it, that it will eventually come together. And it takes a little time. It's not something that'll happen overnight. And there are going to be days when you're totally frustrated and just angry and upset. But I think that you know, if you get the players in the room, you have these really tough conversations and you really commit to this work that it happens and it comes together. Yeah, I would add that for me, what's been really important in my organization is that we are intentional about creating space. Uh, and what I mean by that is we, um, I took everybody in my office through a basic understanding training, one day workshop on what is racism. So that folks had an understanding that when we're talking about racist, we're not saying you are racist. Uh, we are talking about racism as a system. And that helped um, eliminate some of that defensiveness and ac accusation that can come up in these conversations. And then we have intentionally over many years now, created space where folks can uh, show up with all of their identities, as Shanine mentioned, and share their experiences in a way that allows them to speak their own truths and people to hear that. And that's really important before you even start working on, like, here's the stuff we got to change about the program. Creating relationship and building trust amongst the group uh, that you want to go do these big, fantastic things for the program is really, really important. And luckily, what I have seen in all of the spaces where I've done this work, which is many now, there always seems to be a handful of folks who really get a passion for this and are, are willing to put in the extra effort to create those spaces uh, and hold each other accountable to creating those spaces so that we do get folks who are willing to you know, they don't agree on everything, but they're willing to work together towards a common goal. Yeah, that, that makes sense, Erin. Hey, let me let me also ask, what, what areas of diversity and inclusion are most important to the child support program today? Kind of kind of looking at what, what specific areas of focus are needed in the here and now to start with? Gosh, that's a tough one. So there isn't necessarily one space where it's needed more than others, that it really affects everything from how we're building our teams and who we're hiring and how we're hiring to who we're putting um, in front of the people we serve to how we're engaging those people that we serve in our um, in conversations about 
the policies and processes that we're building. So, I mean, I think naturally we gravitate towards um, issues that involve families because of the nature of our work. Uh, and I think there's plenty of uh, conversation to have around the role of fathers, the role of safe sex parents, the role of single parents, um, single women of color. I think there's lots of conversation to have just if we wanted to focus in the family space uh, to help get us started. You know, you know, because we're we're really talking with two very bold risk takers, I'm going to go ahead and ask this question. So, is reform of the child support program itself needed, or can we address this on an individual and organizational level or levels? So I'll start. <laughs> um, absolutely, I think that. You know, for a lot of folks, I did not grow up in the program in the normal sense of growing up in it, but I grew up in it, you know, from my personal experience as a single parent. And so I think that my learned experience from that versus being someone who works in it, I think there's an opportunity for um, change and improvement. And I think that, um, you know, we're in a good place in our program right now to be able to do that. And I think that, as Aaron said, there are a lot of people interested in that. I think we need to really seize that opportunity now. Yeah, and, and for me, Tim, I do think there is significant reform, if not complete overhaul of this program. And it's, it, for me, the one of the ways that I talk about it is we're a program and people aren't buying what we're selling and what we sell is free for the most part. Uh, and, and even if you don't want to think about it in terms of diversity, equity, inclusion or marginalized communities, right? We have a problem, I think, as a program. I happen to think that, that using a framework of diversity, equity, and inclusion will help us solve that problem. Uh, and so, one of the reasons people aren't buying what we're selling is because of the barriers that Shanine mentioned that we put up. And so uh, I think that we have an obligation, frankly, to address some of those barriers. If we really want to be a program that is for families and not just says we're for families. This is really fascinating to me um, because I, I tend to agree with both of you. I, I think that the child support program does is in need of global reform. And, you know, we're talking about how we do things today and that what we're, what we're providing is free, but, but folks do not take advantage of it. And I wonder how much of that barrier is based on how we do things today versus the view of the program and its past. Many folks will talk about the child support program as being grounded in inequitable past policies. And some will even say that it is born out of racist policies. Do we, do we need to blow that up and make really huge changes, you know, or can we make incremental changes as we're moving forward? How much are we still responding to the past of the child support program? So I'll start. Um, <laughs> I think we're responding a lot. I think that it was interesting a couple of years ago. So we do these various equity events um, in our organization. And uh, our division, we did a timeline 
of when the program started till that point in time. And it was a, a, a physical timeline with pictures and everything, and I have it in my office back at work. And when you look at that visual and you look at the different points of time when the program changed and all these different acts and legislation were implemented, and then you look at kind of historically what was happening in the United States at that time, a lot of what has occurred within our program is built on racist policy. I mean, there's no other way to say it than to say that. And so I think there is an opportunity to make these changes and to bring forward, you know, some new ideas and some very fresh perspective. Um, as someone, and y'all, you all don't know that. I was going to say y'all, that's my Iowa. Y'all don't know, but I'm a PhD student um, and I'm getting my doctorate in public administration. And one of the things that I'm hoping to do with my dissertation is to look at from that human uh, service lens how can we better serve communities of color? And in particular, um, the child support program, because I can honestly tell you that people of color do not see our program in the same light that the dominant culture does. And so there needs to be some best practices and changes in policy and program reform that needs to happen as a result of that. Well, and I think to be fair, too, uh, particularly because we're talking right now about diversity, equity, inclusion, it's not just race. It's not just people of color, right? It's it's all yeah. dimensions of marginalized communities, correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, Greg, I would agree with that. And one of the things we learn in this work is we hold both and. Uh, I would say that um, it is important to focus on race, not to the exclusion of everything else. But one of the ways I think about it is race is so pervasive, so foundational and fundamentally built into the culture and the fabric of our country, that if we can make progress on race, we will naturally make progress on the other um, isms, if you will. So I don't want to sound like I'm making one more important than the other. I just think that leading with race allows you to address multiple isms at the same time. And that's an important concept for people to to understand. I would also offer up that this isn't unique to child support. I would argue that every institution in this country, every human service program, every health program is grappling with or should be grappling with the same things. So, uh, you know, I don't want people to walk away saying, oh, child support's terrible. It's not about good or bad. It's about understanding our history and learning from that and figuring out what we want to do better once we know better. Well, and, and I think also that is evidenced by the many communities and states and cities across the United States that are recognizing racism is a public health crisis. And it's not just about feelings and emotions, but it's about actual health and well-being of individuals. Yes, I totally agree. And as I mentioned, I think COVID has brought to light things that we've always known about that, but the fact that we know communities of color um, are experiencing the pandemic in ways that we couldn't have imagined. And really, I think exposing some of those systems and and the um, the underlying foundations that do um, that do exist to keep marginalized communities marginalized. 
Mm-hmm. Right. Like all of that has sort of come to light in a way that was sort of hidden before COVID came along. So then bringing it back to the child support program, are there specific things that we need to address um, to improve upon these these questions about diversity, equity, inclusion? What, what specific areas of the child support program uh, should be next on our list? Erin, I'll let you start. Well, um, I have some personal favorites, I'll be honest, but they're not necessarily in any um, particular order. So, I mean, we really do need to look at our enforcement tools and how they're being used uh, for different communities, whether that's um, whose licenses we're suspending, um, who we're reporting to credit reporting agencies, um, I think we need to look at the whole process of requiring uh, the TANF population to have child support cases uh, and what that means. And in Michigan, that also includes people who are getting food stamps and Medicaid and on child care assistance. There is a lot to unpack about um, why we're doing it that way and how we could do it differently. But honestly, I feel like, you know, we could talk about any area of this program. Uh, we're in the process right now of setting up um, an equity advisory council that is made up of community parents that uh, are we are going to work in collaboration with. They're going to help us co-create our policies in Michigan for child support. And uh, we started making a list of stuff that we're like, oh, we want to talk to the advisory board about this. And the list just keeps getting longer and longer and longer and longer. <laughs> I would add to Erin's list because she stole some of mine, but I would say just overall addressing poverty and serving low-income parents is one on the top of my list. I think there's a lot that we could do to improve those circumstances. I think, you know, for a long time, a lot of our policy is um, built around being, um, being penalizing people. And so oftentimes that what happened and what was able to work 40 years ago, uh, because those policies are, are based, like we talked about, in racist policy and practice, well, what worked 40 years ago with a low-income population is not going to work now. Um, and so what we tend to see is in Minnesota is that oftentimes those who are most impacted are the poorest of our caseload. And so there has to be some very intentional change around that. I would also probably say um, just being able to modernize our systems. I get frustrated a lot from, you know, we have these great ideas and we know this information is available, but we've got this 30-year-old computer system that if you do any minor change to it, it might blow up and you won't have anything. But just being able to get at that information more quickly, be more agile um, in making some of the decisions that we want to make, and to be able to have our program participants um, actively self uh, engage and get into the system and get the information that they need as well, I think is very, is very important. And so those are like some of the things on my list. Okay, I have to add a couple more because Janine made me think of a couple more. Um, 
One is about this, this attitude that we have that we know best for families. Uh -huh. um, and that, you know, families actually probably can decide for themselves what is good for them and don't necessarily need us to tell them. How do we honor that? How do we um, work with that rather than telling them they're doing it wrong? I think is really important. You know, I, I think about the generation of this program and I think about it in two ways. One, it was about not poor families, middle-class families where mom and dad and two kids lived at home and dad worked and mom stayed home. And when dad left, we had to do something about mom and her kids. And so there was an income inequality there that, that we, we solved that social problem. We came in and rebalanced that income inequality. But for poor people, that was not the same story we had. For poor people, it was about how do we get our money back from what we invested in them when they were on welfare? And that is, I think, something we've got to confront. You know, I think it's really interesting in this program how we still today like to talk about um, NCP or payer employment programs. And I look at that and I say, that is us trying to create income inequality so that we can swoop in and fix it for you. Rather than talk about how you get both parents' incomes up above the poverty level so that that kid is supported no matter what. I might be able to get on my soapbox on this all day, so I will stop now. <laughs> You know, Aaron, you can you can keep going all day. I would listen to you and just absorb it in. So, so no need to no need to stop. You know what you're what you're both talking about is really that soul searching intro, you know, introspection of what's going on. Um, and like you said, really kind of toward the beginning of our discussion, is um, hoping that people come to this policy forum for these discussions, engagement, um, whatever you want to call them, but really to be open bring what they have, but to be open to these new ideas and challenges and uh, different ways of looking at things. And, and so with that, let me just remind everybody, or let me ask you to remind everybody, when is this event happening again? So it, we're starting the end of February. So it's February 23rd through 25th. And then that following week on March 2nd and March 3rd. Awesome. And you talked about it being a virtual conference. And registration, I know, is open because I've registered, but where can people go to register if they haven't done so yet? And how long is that registration open? So they can go to the NCO website uh, and find registration information there, really, ncoorg slash NCO-policy-forum, I think. Uh, you will be able to find it, and registration is open. Um, I was just on a, a phone call with uh, Anne-Marie Ruskin earlier today, and I said, I think she said she's hoping everybody gets registered by the 18th of February. So get your registrations in soon. Yes. And if you go to that website too, you can see the conference schedule at a glance, see what's coming up, see who's speaking. Uh, you want to make sure you block your calendars for this, for this exciting, very exciting, I don't even like to call it a conference. It's really a policy forum. It's, it's much more than a conference and hanging out and, and uh, you know, being with your peers, it's much more than that. And if you have questions about registration, if you have problems with it, who do they contact or who can we contact? Yeah, so you can reach out to Gillian Krug and she will be more than happy to uh, assist you with any questions that you have. And I would like to put out the challenge. So next year for whoever gets this lucky opportunity to chair, 
that you're going to have a big one to fill the shoes of because we're going to really rock this one. So Absolutely. anyone who's, who's taking this, this position next year, we wish you luck. <laughs> Are there any final words you want to leave us with? I just think that, um, you know, as our team uh, really planned, the committee planned for this event, you know, we really came together rather quickly and we made sure that, you know, we were very thoughtful um, in our processes and we've come up with a couple of things that we won't share because we're still working through, but we're going to, you know, hopefully bring forward some new things that we hope traditionally will carry on in future events. But I, I want to first give a shout out for the whole planning committee because it took a lot. But once we got going, we, we got all on the same page and we really made it happen. Um, I also want to thank uh, Lisa Skinnendor for just having the, the thought of really moving this year's policy forum in this direction and being very intentional. Uh, it's a first of all of the forums. Uh, for something like this to happen. And so that was a huge opportunity and she really embraced it. And so I want to say thank you to Lisa. And I'm going to do what I like to do is say that what Shanine said. She said it beautifully. <laughs> Absolutely. And Greg, do you have any last words for us as well? Well, and, and from, you know, a regular member of the association, uh, I offer my thanks to the two of you for all of the hard work that you've put in. I'm registered. I'm signed up. I'm looking forward to it. I think this year, as Shanid said, is going to be, you know, a fabulous conversation, and I'm so looking forward to participating in it. So this has been NCA on Location. And again, Greg and I want to thank our guests today, Aaron Frisch and Shanid Moore co-chairs of the 2021 NCA Policy Forum. Thank you again for your time, your incredible energy and your leadership to plan this conference and for the leadership that you exhibit not only in your home states, but within our NCA Association. We wanna thank our listeners today for listening in. And as always until next time, we look forward to talking to you again on the podcast. Well, thank you to Aaron and Shani for joining us today. And thanks again to Greg and Tim for leading the conversation. If you'd like to attend this year's policy forum, you can find all the registration information you need at ncia.org. On Location is available on iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you get your podcasts. We have a lot of great episodes on the way, so be sure to subscribe, and listen to all of our previous episodes as well. We also appreciate your ratings, your feedback, your comments, and your suggestions. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, please reach out to us on the contact link on our website. On Location is a production of the NCA Communications Committee with special production assistance from Tim Leitner and me. Thanks for joining me. I'm Joe Mamlin, and this has been on location.